I learned something about my glasses. If I stand like this, I'm always at that line. It smells good, right? <laughs> right. Good evening, church family. It's good to see you here. Those who are present, those who are online, God bless you. Thank you for your time this evening. We begin a new series this evening, uh, Falling in Love with Jesus. And we're going to talk about that tonight and throughout this series. And I thank you for your presence. Let's go together to uh, God in prayer, please. O righteous and magnificent God in heaven, we praise your holy divine name for your name is so powerful and so wonderful and so great. And we receive our comfort just by hearing your name. And though there are many who take your name in vain, Lord God, your children who love you will not. Lord God, we desire to honor you and honor your name in all that we say and do. And we thank you for Jesus, your great son. And it's in his name that we pray to you, continue his prayers. And it's because of him that you hear us. We ask, Lord God, that you will hear our prayer tonight. And that you will bless our study as we open your word. That you will help us to glean a good understanding. And help us to grow in our faith, in our confidence, in our conviction, and in our love for you. And Jesus, like most wonderful and awesome name, we do pray and give thee thanks. Be thy will. Amen. So we're going to John chapter 7 first. Falling in love with Jesus. There was so much talk about Jesus. Jesus is and was the most important human figure on the earth. He, he was and is the most uh, important human when it comes to heaven and salvation. He was 100% deity and 100% God. And just imagine being in the presence of Jesus, right? Imagine being in the presence of God, knowing there's something different. There's something different about Him. You know, we as humans, you, you know, you get around people and, and there's something, you know, we're all different, right? We're all different. And so, there's just something different about maybe our spouse. You know, this is what attracted me to my spouse. Because there's something different about them that, that I enjoy, that, that I love, and uh, etc. Being in the presence of Jesus, there's just something different about the way that he spoke, the way that he responded, the way that he acted, the way that he walked. Something different. And I want us to fall in love with that difference. More than we have in the past. They sent men out to kill Jesus. They didn't want Jesus around. Just something different about him. And sometimes that difference, that light, that shine would expose the evil within the hearts. In particular of the scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 7. And as they sent these soldiers, these armed men out to get Jesus. In verse 45. The Bible says, the officers therefore came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. You know, we went to get him, and then we, we followed your orders, and, and when we got there, he just started talking to us. 
And we couldn't bring him because we've never heard God talk to us. Something different about Jesus. And there was a lot of conversation about Jesus, right? In his day. Just continually, just continual conversation. Look back at chapter, uh, chapter seven still, verse eleven. The Jews therefore were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? And there was much grumbling among the multitudes concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the multitude astray. And so this conflicting view between the rulers and the leaders who really weren't interested in Jesus. They were only interested in concern about their position, their status, their money. That view that they had conflicted with the view that the honest people had. And they said, Jesus, yeah, you know, he's one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. He's, he's one of the greatest neighbors I've ever met in my life. Something different about Jesus. There's just something strange about him, in a good way, peculiar. Look over at chapter 9. There was a man who was born blind. And there was a lot of conversation with this man and around this man and surrounding this man about Jesus. The man was born blind. He suffered and struggled all of his life. And then came a good man who saw a struggling, suffering human being. And he came to his aid. And this good man knew that there would be a lot lot more grumbling, there would be a lot more anger, etc. But he always did the right thing. He always did the good thing. And so beginning, if you will, at verse 8. And we're going to just skip through it a little bit, but I want you to follow me. Verse 8 through 12. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they were saying to him, How then were your eyes open. And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Jesus made the blind man, the beggar, see. First of all, He talked to the beggar. Secondly, it was a beggar. Why wouldn't Jesus rub shoulders with the leaders instead? That's not who God is. Instead, he went to the suffering, the struggling. Isn't this the blind beggar? Isn't this the one who used to beg? He begged all of his life. Isn't this he? Why is Jesus talking to that man whom no one else really speaks to? Every now and then we drop a quarter or a nickel or a dime. But no one cared for him, maybe other than his parents and loved ones. 
But no one cared for him like Jesus. In verse 13, here's some controversy over him. They brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Again, therefore the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Says he opened your eyes and he said, he's a prophet. Jesus. You know, the Pharisees were law keepers. But let's just be honest, they were law breakers. Because they didn't keep the Sabbath, right? They didn't really keep the Sabbath. We know that when you study the scriptures and you read, Israel didn't keep the Sabbath properly. And they found an opportunity to discredit a good man, Jesus, because he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. Now, what they did not say is it did not say, we thank God that you're healed. We know it has to come from God that you're healed. We praise God. Pray. No, they weren't even concerned about that man. They were fine that he were just over there dead, if you will, or begging in the corner again. It wouldn't have bothered them one bit. Like when Lazarus, John 13, when Lazarus um, was, was resurrected, they were going to kill him again. Because because of Lazarus, people were following Jesus. And this blind man says, he's a good man. Now I see, and he must be a prophet. And here how he draws the conclusion, as they call him a sinner, in verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He therefore answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. You you can call him whatever you want to, but I know that I was blind, and now I see. And just because you don't like the fact that I was blind and now I see, that man that you call a sinner, that man healed me. He took the time. You notice when Jesus um, healed so many people in the Bible, he did something that that in that world, the majority really weren't doing, even today. Today, if you have, if someone, you know, some panhandler or someone uh, that we know that's ill, that are, are begging money and they help hold a hat out, we drop the money into the hat and, or, or the cup, and we move on. But notice that Jesus touches these people. People who haven't been touched very much, very often, in a long time. Like the the lepers who had not been touched, but Jesus touched them. When he could have just said the word, spoken the word, but he didn't do that because he's such an exceptional man. In verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, 
we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So notice the elevation where this blind man says, well, he's a man. Well, he's a prophet. And they go, he's a sinner. And he goes, well, I can't really be a sinner because God doesn't hear the prayer of sinners. And this man is working from God. Jesus Christ, uh, our Savior, was a man of peace. Right? And this is just an introduction. I'm going to get into his childhood and and move on from there. I want to go back to chapter 1 of, of John. Uh, chapter 3, actually. Excuse me. The Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the Sanhedrin, if you will, they had lots of conversations about Jesus. And, and they came to the, the conclusion that Jesus has to be from God. It didn't change how they treated him. But it, it, it altered their opinion about him because they understood that Jesus was a man who, who definitely came from God. Verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There was no question of the fact that Jesus Christ came from God. By those who knew the law, by those who knew the prophecies of some sort, there was no question in their minds. And yet, like today, they chose to dishonor God. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about our world today. The, the number of people who choose to dishonor God. A good man. Who did nothing but good for all of humanity. For individuals in particular. Matthew chapter 16. There was a lot of conversation about Jesus Christ. As again, as there is today. As Jesus, verse 13 came to the coast of Caesarea and Philippi. He began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who is Jesus? Well, there was a lot of conversation about who Jesus Christ was. Was he Elijah? 
Was he, was he Elijah? Was he one of the prophets? Was he Jeremiah? Was he John the Baptist? Was, was he the expected one? What I want us to be able to do, as we turn, let's turn to Philippians, please. Chapter, um, three. I want us to, to throughout this lesson, be able to look deep into our own hearts. This is a very, a very personal study. They all should be that way. And ask yourself the question, how much do you love Jesus? How much do I love Jesus? Now that answer may be something that I guess is reflected when you look back and ask, how much do you know about Jesus? Because the more that we know about Jesus, the more that we'll learn to love Jesus. The more that we see the tremendous love that Jesus has for the world, for humanity, for us in particular, the more that our hearts will will fall for him. Verse 8, Philippians chapter 3. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is enough is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the powers of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, to know Jesus. Look again at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Two things here. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. And so Christians, we have, have been conformed in the sense that we have, we have surrendered to God and we have been baptized in the Christ Jesus and our sins have been washed away. We've been resurrected with Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but then we knew a little bit about Jesus. But if we become Christians and we have lived for Jesus over a long time, we've learned more about Jesus. But maybe, just maybe, we become a little complacent in perhaps our love today for Jesus. Is it what it used to be? And maybe through this pandemic and through the struggles that we're going through, maybe there's a little more of me involved. I want to go to John 13. How much do you love Jesus? How much of Jesus do you want in your life? Just a little bit or a whole lot or everything. Verse 5. The Jesus who washes feet. Then he poured, the Bible says, water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, 
Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand thereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head and my hands. Wash me all over. Not just my hands and my feet, but give me everything, Jesus. How much do we desire the relationship with God? Is my relationship with God, or has my relationship with God, dwindled down to become a, a list of, you know, like a checklist relationship. You know, I've been there, I've done this, I did that, I, I did this, I did that. Um, do you want a relationship with Jesus that's, that's, that's more, than, more than just a sense of duty, right? You know, I'm, I'm duty-bound. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm supposed to do this or do that. I'm, I'm doing this out of, um, out of obligation. And so this is what I, I, this is, this is what I'm doing. Brother, that kind of relationship with Jesus isn't what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're talking about, in this series we'll be talking about a relationship with Jesus that goes so deep into our hearts, the recesses of our minds, that the checklist is no more. Because a checklist, or should I say checklist religion, really isn't what God is asking for. Yeah, I know God wants us to live a certain way and do certain things. But what is the motivation behind the things that we do? Is it the checklist? Got to get to heaven, so here we go, right? Or is it from the heart? Watch what happens in Revelation chapter 2. Speaking of the checklist, the church at Ephesus, they had the checklist under control. I mean, you know, check, 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 check. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil, check. Right, deeds, check. Your toil, check. Oh, and perseverance, check. And that you cannot endure evil men, check. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, check, and they are not, check, and you found it to be, them to be false, check, and you have perseverance, check, and you've endured for my name's sake, check, and have not grown weary, check, but you got one problem. Verse 4, but I have this against you. You left your first love. Where'd you love? You got all the check marks, right? Check, 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 check. But where is that love, that love for God? I mean, do you want your, your, your spouse, your children, your family members to love you from a checklist type relationship, duty bound, out, out of obligation, check, check? Or do you want them to love you from the heart? And that's what God wants. God wants us to love Him from the heart with all of our mind, soul, and strength. 
They were doing the right things. They were duty-bound. But their motives were so shallow because it simply was out of obligation. It was just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm checking all the boxes. Their motivation was no longer love. God wants us to love Him. God wants us to love Him from a free will, right? Can you relate to the church at Ephesus right now? You know, I'm doing these, you know, the check, oh, I'm on, okay, I got, I'm on the, the Zoom, and I, oh, I have the, um, I'm streaming, and so I'm on, check, and, but are you really there? I mean, I can't see you, and, and no one else can see you. Are you really there? I'm, physically, you may be sitting in front of your television, or have your phones on, but are you really there? Right? Is anyone in there? Right? That's a good question. Are you really there? But not just, not just here, if you will, uh, but in an auditorium, uh, are you present? Check. Have you taken your seat? Check. Are you singing along? Check. Have you given your, your money for the, yeah, check. Have you taken communion? Check. Are you bowing your heads doing prayer? Well, I mean, I'm kind of, bit, right? Check. <laughs> I don't know if we're all bowing our heads. Sometimes I hear people, I hear ruffling of the things going on in the auditorium while we're praying, so I know that probably might be a half check, right? Check, or are we really enjoying worship? Like, I love being here. I can't imagine anything else. My mind is so deep into this worship, not what's being spoken by the minister. The fact that I am in the presence of God in worship service and that God is listening and participating with us in the whole world we're all worshiping as one in Christ right now. This is our moment. This is our time. This is our worship to our great God, ordained by God, authorized by God, given by God as a gift. No check. It's from the heart. Can we relate to Ephesus in any, in any way? When I read the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, is there the, the enjoyment? Let, let us talk about that for just, just, just a moment. The Word of God is not like reading a newspaper. You say, well, we, we know that preacher. Yeah, it's not. It's, but is God talking to us? How many of us believe that, right? That it's God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the the Son, it's God, the Godhead, talking to us. No longer be this, Tony, but now be that. Oh, okay, Jesus, that's, that's what I want to be. Do you love me? Ah, yes, Jesus, I... When I pray, He's listening. He's, you know, there's only two times in the Bible, uh, in the, where Jesus is on the throne and he stands up. And both of those times were in a, a curiosity, if you will, the interest, interest of his, his child or his children who are suffering. And so basically he's looking down upon them like, like Stephen when he was being stoned and Jesus stood up and he's looking because, and I wonder, you know, when I pray to God, 
I know that my prayers are going up into heaven and I can see Jesus. I can see him grabbing. I can see God holding that prayer. He's listening to the very words that I'm echoing. And I'm amazed at that. And I'm like, why are you even listening to me? Thank you. You ever, you ever been to a, a, a location, a place, and you you were you were talking, and you just got so fed up because you knew that the people that were in your presence they didn't care about you, they weren't listening. That doesn't happen with God, right? So we are in His presence with the Word of God, and He's talking to us in our prayers, and He's listening to us, and it it creates in us this feeling of thankfulness and gratitude and this this relationship relationship with God not not checklist but a relationship that God wants a sound solid personal relationship with his people right so he came to enlighten us to wake us up and you know, sometimes we, we, we fall asleep. We doze off because we're weary. Jesus came to wake us up, to enlighten us, to help us to live as mortal beings on the earth, physically, but mentally, to live in heaven with Jesus as our focal point. It's all about Jesus, right? Now John 9, John chapter 9, we go back to this man who uh, was born blind and now he sees in the conversation that uh, is happening. And we go all the way over to verse 39. And there's an interesting thought here of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is talking to them about is he's saying to them, the problem is when you think you got it all figured out, the reality is you're blind and you can't see. But the humble the humble who depend upon God in this relationship, this this wonderful and beautiful uh, fellowship, God opens their eyes to see. In verse 39, And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those are the Pharisees who were with him, heard these things, and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Look at the elevation. The blind man who was poor and useless to society from their standards, and he was a beggar, and he just he just was no good to anyone except his parents. Jesus says, you are the most important to God right now. The Pharisees who had it all, they had all the money, they had all the power, they had all the fame, they had all the authority, though it didn't come from God. I mean, they were doing all right. They were the ones who were the blind ones, who needed someone to give them a gift, to open their eyes to see the truth checklist. The Pharisees were good at the checklist. 
But they were horrible people. They were horrible people. And it's because of their pride and arrogance, their selfishness and lack of love for God. That they were behind the execution of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they executed God. John 3.16 It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John wants us to understand. So, so I'm not going to go into a study of the Godhead. We will do that e- eventually. But I'm not going to go into a study of the Godhead. But I want you to understand John 3.16 as written by, by John. Okay? As we read this, I want you to understand that when he says God, now the word is theos, so theos does mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Godhead. In particular, within the Godhead, or as a part of the Godhead, contextually, John has been speaking from John chapter 1 to John chapter 3 about whom? About Jesus. So what John is saying to us in actuality is the Godhead, Jesus, Jesus loves us so much that he came, that he came so that all might be saved. Jesus. Look at John 1. John 1, beginning at verse 1. And I know you're very familiar with it. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being, uh, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus. Jesus loved us so very much. The Godhead loved us. I'm just trying to make you understand the power of Jesus. Loved us so very much that somewhere in the days of eternity, as the conversation ensued, if we make them in our image, we'll have to die for them. So as God, God and God spoke together, God said, I'll empty myself and I will leave this setting and I'll suffer at the hands of man. Because I love them so much. Jesus. And so, in Genesis 3, in verse 15, mankind in the garden, the time came by way of prophecy that God's eternal plan after making us would begin to be revealed to humanity After the sin of Adam and Eve, 
In verse 15, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God's plan revealed to man. That God, Jesus, who loves us so very much, God the Father, God the Son, that God, the Father, will allow himself to be bruised so that we may live. The whole plan, the whole thing was figured out. And when you think about God, I, 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 I pray that, um, that maybe we're not the ones who, who belittle Jesus to say, you know, you know, the old, I don't know, the old teaching or, or a teaching from somewhere where, you know, God the Father is, is the great God and then there's the, you know, the Jesus Christ the second and then the Holy Spirit or maybe God the Father and then the Holy Spirit and then Jesus. Where do you get that? That's, it's the pie, right? In thirds. All co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and when you say God, it's easier to say God, 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 and instead of saying God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But for clarity's sake, as to whom it is we're speaking of, in the context of the New Testament, and even the Old, we'd say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When you look at Isaiah 9 and verse 6, you see the, the unity within the Godhead and the power of that unity uh, for humanity. And so Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name, Jesus, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So we're not getting into the Godhead, but again, Jesus is called the Father just as much as He's called the Son. We're just talking about God, God, and God. And that eternal plan came into view in Genesis 3 and 2 Samuel 7 and all the passages that you read through all the way into the New Testament. And we stop off in Daniel 2 in verse 44 because God would promise something to us. And that is the beginning of the Lord's church and the kingdom that would destroy all the kingdoms and reign on the earth in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all of these kingdoms. Now here's what's important. But it, it itself will endure until the end. So it itself will endure. Here's the beauty of that. That means over and over again, what God has been telling us is, I am going to come and I am going to suffer. Because I love you that much. None of us like to suffer. Right? Someone said, look, we need to go and we've, we've got to go do this. but when we, And we're going to die. But we're not just going to die. There is, there, there's no, there's no victory in the sense of, of our, our survival. We are going to die. And before we die, we're, we're going to suffer, uh, for about a day and a half. 
tremendous torment and torture and pain and agony and, and there's no there's no one who can rescue us and, and no one who can save us and are you with me? For one would hardly die for a good man. <laughs> God demonstrated his love toward us. And he died for us, right? Knowing Knowing the wickedness of man. And again, in Matthew 16 and verse 13, when he says, you know, he speaks to humanity and, and when he, when he, when he says, you know, uh, he's in Caesarea of Philippi and on that coast and he asks, what, you know, what, what are they saying about me? Who do men say that I am? Not that it was important for Jesus. He knew who he was. But it's the very fact that the fulfilled prophecy of Daniel 2.44 comes into play where Jesus establishes his kingdom, the church. And brethren, the excitement is that you and I and members throughout the world are part of that kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Luke chapter 1, I think in our time will be, will be up. Luke chapter 1, I want to look at verse 30. We are a part and we realize, we are a realized part of that kingdom that Jesus Christ promised to establish for the sake of humanity, for our salvation. So God, or rather should I say, the, the uh, um, uh, angel sent and he speaks to uh, Mary. The angel said to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And there we have it. The one whom we trust. The one who loves us so very much. That he grew up on this earth and witnessed all the wickedness and evil and suffered for what, 33 years? And he didn't hurt anyone, but only loved all, even his enemies. Church, I hope that this is the beginning of... uh, our studies, and I hope that, that I, I've encouraged you in some way that we will grow in love for Jesus more and more. And I pray, God, through this study, it will be helpful and useful to you in your Christian walk. Thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate, we appreciate it.